Australia is falling behind in its efforts to reach its climate targets by 2030. The OECD reckons the Reserve Bank might have to start cutting rates in the middle of next year, and the Commonwealth Bank is back in the mortgage market game, once again competing aggressively, and that's good for anyone with a mortgage. Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It's Friday, the 1st of December, 2023. I'm Michael Thompson, and happy summer, Sean Aylmer. Thank you, Michael. A spring in your voice. First of December, first day of summer, almost at Christmas. Fantastic. And I realized as I was saying, I'm pretty sure no one actually says happy summer. (laughs) Decided to to roll with it. Look, you've got an interview coming up today. It's a really interesting topic. I love hearing about property. You're speaking with Daniel Hubbard, Group Manager Investment at Metricon Homes. Yes. So he's in charge of the investing area of Metricon Homes. So you get people to put money uh, into it and they go and buy houses basically right from go to woe. So the whole finding the land, finding builders, putting the building on the property uh, right through to tenants and things like that. And Metricon is one of the, the largest operators in the market. We just talk about how the market is and it's it's not at its peak, but it's not doing too badly, but also how the dynamics have changed. So it's not so much about being the biggest anymore. It's kind of all about being the best. So it's a great chat with Daniel. Yeah, it certainly is. A Metricon is a supporter of fear and greed. Sean, the main story this morning, the federal government released its annual climate change statement yesterday, and it calls to ban traditional car sales no later than 2040 and to remove residential gas connections. They may well be very good ideas depending on your perspective, but I've got to say the government's already rejected both. The report's fascinating though. The data in it is extensive. It says overall emissions rose in the last financial year by 3.6 million tonnes, or 0.8%, to 467 million tonnes. Pollution from cars, utes and SUVs led the increase. Agriculture was up as well. Now, if you take that increase from cars, utes, SUVs and agriculture, and then you offset it, with the savings from the electricity sector, and mostly that's about rapid rooftop solar installations. Well, the increase is twice the level of the savings, basically. The number means Australia's annual current emissions are still 116 million tonnes above the 2030 target. The government says that last week's decision to underwrite up to $60 billion in renewable energy projects means Australia will reduce emissions by 42% on 2005 levels this decade. It's a fair bit to take in there, isn't there? It That's, is. Uh, it is. And and part of me was wondering, kind of, about the fact that this is um, on the on the previous year, and I was trying to figure out whether we were in lockdown for part of that previous year, and therefore not driving as much. Therefore, as kind of traffic returns to normal, that that might explain more pollution from cars and utes and SUVs and the like. But really, overall, the the, the message is clear: we have a long way to go. Yes. In fact, the actual numbers are a bit better than the year before. And you're probably right because there weren't as many cars on the road in that 2022 financial year. And the number this year is a bit better. So we are doing okay, but you're right. We have a long way to go. Federal Climate Minister Chris Bowen said emissions projections are within striking distance of the government's target of 43% by 2030. Then he added that hitting the targets requires a big lift in effort over the next seven years. The Climate Change Authority's annual progress report shows that Australia is falling behind. To achieve the 2030 target, Australia needs to decarbonise at an average annual rate of 17 million tonnes of carbon a year. Last financial year, 
emissions rose. They didn't fall. So we definitely have a long way to go. Yeah, certainly do. How did local markets perform yesterday? Pretty good day. The S&P ASX 200 closed up 0.7% to 7,087 points after a big spike at the end of the day. Industrials did best, but that sector had plenty of friends, tech stocks, financials, consumer staples. All those sectors did pretty well. Much of the trading at the moment is on the economic cycle. Will interest rates rise again in the US? Will they rise again here in Australia? Macquarie Group led the banks higher, rising more than 2%, while Westpac jumped more than 1%. James Hardy Industries rose 2.5%, Transurban 1.5%, and Woolies more than 1%. If you look at those companies, Macquarie Group, James Hardy, Transurban, they all earn a fair bit of money in the US. Their share prices are reflecting the expectation that there won't be rate rises there. It was a tough day yesterday for the energy stocks, with Origin and AGL both off 2.4%, Industrial Property Group Goodman fell 2.7%. CSL and West Farmers also underperformed. Iris surged 15% after it upgraded its earnings guidance for this calendar year. It was the best performing stock of the top 200 on the day. Another strong performer was Harvey Norman after Wednesday's AGM. Liontown Resources fell. It announced that former Fortescue Metals Chief Financial Officer Ian Wells had been appointed to the board and its share price went down. Probably not about Ian Wells, to be fair. Still, never a good look. So, so you need you need a thick skin, wouldn't you? You do, you do need a thick skin. Worst on the day, though, was core lithium. It was down 3.5%. Uh, an interesting little one. It was not a, not in the top 200, but a, a tiddler. North Queensland copper explorer Cooper Metals. Its share price jumped 60% after it reported significant and high-grade copper hits from drilling at its Brumby Ridge project. Exactly what every explorer wants. Brumby Ridge. It sounds like a romance novel, doesn't it? Drilling it at does. Brumby Ridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. International markets. I'll take over while you just keep laughing, giggling at your joke there. Big week for oil markets with OPEC Plus meeting. Now, the concern is that the group might reduce production, or at least they might want to produce production, and that will put pressure on prices. Basically, Saudi Arabia wants to cut output there. Saudi is the biggest producer. Angola and Algeria don't. Nickel's worth a mention. It's very important in the greenification of the economy, but its price is down almost 50% since the beginning of the year. The fear is that Chinese-backed Indonesian suppliers will flood the market. Bad news for Australian nickel miners. There's a bit of a wrinkle in this argument, though, particularly after the meeting yesterday between US President Joe Biden and Indonesian President Yoko Widodo. After that, Biden came out and said he hadn't allowed Indonesian companies to access subsidies under the Huge Spending Inflation Reduction Act in the US. Those subsidies are massive. Aussie nickel miners do have access to it. Some, so there's some good news for the Australian miners, not so much the Indonesian miners. Of course, tonight, US Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell speaks. Will he or won't he suggest that the interest rate hikes in the world's biggest economy are over? We head into the weekend with gold trading close to 2050. US dollars an ounce, Bitcoins above 38,000 US dollars a unit, and the Aussie dollar is buying 66.4 US cents. And Michael, you've stopped laughing at your own jokes, so over to you. I have recovered just in time to say that we'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, the OECD has predicted that Australia won't need to lift interest rates any further, saying the economy is on track for a soft landing. 
The Paris-based organization forecast growth of 1.9% this year and 1.4% in 2024, substantially slower than the Reserve Bank's recently upgraded 2% forecast. The OECD reckons interest rates in Australia will fall, yes, fall, from the middle of next year, saying that inflation will drop to the top of the Reserve Bank's 2 to 3% target band by early 2025. Meanwhile, Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the upcoming mid-year budget update will not be another surplus, as he flagged Labor was unlikely to expand cost of living relief for millions more Australians, despite a backbench push. And staying in the world of economics, Sean, there was a big jump in the number of approvals for new homes last month. Yes, interesting. Approvals were up 7.5% following a drop in September. Good news, but total approvals remain pretty low, and that's bad news for the construction sector. There was also private investment figures out yesterday. Capital expenditure rose 0.6% in September. Solid, without being great. That's how I'd put it. Mostly that came from the mining sector. Sean, Origin Energy's board has rejected a revised takeover bid from Canadian suitor Brookfield, describing it as incomplete and complex, and recommended that investors vote in favour of the $18.7 billion offer, which will be put to a vote on Monday. A shareholder vote was supposed to be held a week ago. It was postponed after Brookfield and a consortium backed by US investment group EIG lobbed an alternate offer. The main reason for that offer was that Origin's biggest shareholder, Australian Super, said it would vote against the original deal. If it votes against the original deal, it will scupper the deal. The Origin board said the new deal was complex and would take too long to execute, not to mention there's a bunch of regulatory hurdles to overcome. Origin's share price fell 2% yesterday to $8.24. That's way below the $9.39 cash bid to be voted on on Monday. Just doesn't look like that deal's going to get done. No, perhaps not. I must talk to Adam Lang about this Mm. because do you remember a weekend edition quite a few weeks ago where he said the Origin Energy story was the biggest story. Oh, that's right. That was my story and I won. Yes, you won because he said it was a big story that the ACCC had given Origin the go-ahead for the deal. I was very miffed because I said, well, it's just regulatory approval. The deal's not done. He laughed me off. Anyway. This is extraordinary. The fact that here we are, I reckon that was, what, four or five weeks ago, and you were still holding on to it. It's more like eight weeks ago, possibly three months. Oh, my gosh. This is this is just extraordinary. Well, I'll have to raise this with him tomorrow in the weekend mm. edition as we compete yet again for the, the title of Business News Master. In fact, I'm going to put, I'm going to put that as my most remarkable story. All right, good. The fact that Adam said yours was the best story. Right, good luck to you. I'm sure that'll go well for you. Yeah. Now, Sean, the, the past three months, we've noted that Commonwealth Bank's mortgage book has been shrinking as it shied away from competing too aggressively. Well, in the fourth month, sounds like a biblical passage, doesn't it? In the fourth month, the drought broke and CBA's mortgage book grew. Yes, Commonwealth Bank is a market leader, so what it does affects everyone else, including we plebs with massive home loans, even the plebs with small home loans for that matter. A three-month losing streak at the bank hadn't been recorded for 20 years, but in October, ComBank targeted customers directly through its digital channels. It also pushed its bank West loans more aggressively through mortgage brokers. It finished the month with its total home lending book at $542.28 billion. 542.28, up from $542.22 billion at the end of September. Doesn't sound like much, 
But if you actually break that down, isn't that about $60 million? Hmm, it's a fair bit of money. That is a bit of money. Now, convenience and petrol retailer 7-Eleven's Australian arm has been sold to its Japanese parent company for $1.71 billion. 7-Eleven owns about 750 stores across the country, and according to media reports, it has been sold to Japan's 7&I Holdings, which owns the 7-Eleven Global Licence. 7&I fought off competition from ASX-listed fuel distributor and refiner Empol and a US private equity firm called Platinum Equity. 7-Eleven shareholders, the Withers and Barlow families, will exit the convenience and petrol retailer. They acquired the licence back in 1977. They're a lot wealthier now. How about this one? A New South Wales coal mine that's been shuttered for 18 years will restart production after the mine's owner secured a $90 million loan. The Dartbrook mine in the Hunter Valley will reopen after its owner, Australian Pacific Coal, procured a loan from European commodities trader Vitol. Now, the money will help fund the final works and equipment like conveyors required to start the mine or restart the mine in this case it's been idle since 2007 when anglo-american shut it down it comes as whitehaven coal works to resume production at the vickery mine in new south wales 25 years after it was closed by rio tinto clearly there's still plenty of interest in coal in fact global coal demand reached a record high of 8.3 billion tonnes in 2022, according to the International Energy Agency, as consumption growth in China and other Asian nations exceeded the retreat from coal in wealthy nations. Consumption is forecast to be even higher this year. Finally, Sean, there's a crisis in the cash industry. Cash transport firm Armagard is looking for funding to remain profitable just five months after it merged with rival Prosegur to create a near monopoly. As the banks push customers towards digital payments and cash use declines, Armagard is making heavy losses. The percentage of payments in cash has plunged from 62% in 2010 to 13% in 2021. Quite remarkable. Hmm, there's an idea for the weekend edition. It's actually expected to continue to fall below that 13% level. This has pushed up the unit cost of delivering banknotes to bank branches and retailers in fleets of trucks. According to a report in the Financial Review, the decline in cash payments has come despite the value of banknotes in circulation hitting records last year. Basically, people were hiding it under their mattresses for a rainy day, natural disasters, maybe a telecommunication outage or something like that. They're probably hiding their money for that. The merger between Armagard and Spain's Prosegur approved by the ACCC despite creating a company with a 90% share of the cash distribution market was supposed to relieve financial pressure on Armagard by allowing it to consolidate truck routes and cash distribution centres. But the merged company is still operating at a steep loss. All right, turning to international news now, and one of the world's great diplomats, American Henry Kissinger, has died at the age of 100 in his home in Connecticut. He was a controversial Nobel Peace Prize winner who served under two presidents and left a mark on US foreign policy. Kissinger had been active past his centenary, attending meetings at the White House, publishing a book on leadership styles and testifying before a Senate committee about the nuclear threat posed by North Korea. In fact, in July this year, he made a surprise visit to Beijing to meet President Xi Jinping. According to Reuters, in the 1970s, he had a hand in many of the epoch-changing global events of the decade while serving as US Secretary of State under Republican President Richard Nixon. His efforts led to the diplomatic opening of China, landmark US-Soviet arms control talks, 
expanded ties between Israel and its Arab neighbours, and the Paris Peace Accords with North Vietnam. Quite the career. Yes, indeed. One last one, Sean. OpenAI has officially reinstated Sam Altman as Chief Executive Officer And it has a new initial board of directors with Microsoft joining as a non-voting observer. Ah, the story that keeps giving. Altman was sacked without OpenAI telling Microsoft, its biggest shareholders. Microsoft then hired Altman, then said it was okay for him to go back to OpenAI. Altman said he would if the board was sacked. In the end, he got his way. OpenAI also said that Mira Marathi, who had been Chief Technology Officer until Altman's ousting when she was briefly named Interim CEO, He's gone back to be Chief Technology Officer. OpenAI co-founder Greg Brockman will return as the company's president. He quit in protest over Altman's firing. So after 10 pretty spectacular days, as you were, except we've just got a new board. Yeah, what an amazing story. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview. You're speaking today with Daniel Hubbard from Metricon Homes. Yeah, it's all about investing in property, but particularly investing in apartments and units and that type of thing. Yeah, and Metricon is, of course, a supporter of Fear and Greed. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Friday, the 1st of December, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and please join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, X and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day.